have studied a, a little bit of um, a subject called hermeneutics, which is a big word, and all it simply means is how to study the Bible, basically, how to understand it. And, and there are certain rules and rules of thumb that you go by and guidelines and things. And we were always taught that the most important and the first rule was that when the plain sense makes perfect sense, seek no other sense. In other words, we take the Bible literally as much as it can be taken literally. We don't try to over-spiritualize it. Uh, but I've come to find out that that really is not the biggest and most important one. Uh, there are three more in front of that one that I think are highly important. The first one is you've got to know the context of the passage. And that is utmost importance. The second one is you've got to know the context of the passage. And the third one, you want to take a guess at it? <laughs> you've got to know the context of the passage. Uh, there, there are verses and there are passages that I've heard great messages on, and the message and the principle that they preached was true. It wasn't against Scripture. But the passage they used did not match what they were preaching. And so we've got to understand some things. When we, we, we need to make sure that when we uh, have been taught things, whether it's been over years and years, or whether it's been something recent or new, when we are taught something from God's Word, we ought always come and look at God's Word and find out if, if the pastor's right or the Sunday school teacher's right. Because I'll tell you, we're human just like anybody else. And we can make the same mistakes anybody can make. And one of the great things I love about being a Baptist is that we encourage people to take their Bibles and to read them and to study them. And it's hard to have doctrinal error creeping in when you got everybody in the church looking at the same passage, provided that we all have the mindset that we're coming to it with a fresh set of eyes and we're not just taking at face value what we're being taught. We need to look at Scripture and we need to know what is the passage teaching. The subject we're going to deal with tonight is a subject that has been highly mistaught and highly misunderstood for many, many years in a lot of our solid uh, Baptist churches, those that are doctrinally sound. Uh, and that is this area of, I, I like to call it church restoration, because I think really that's a better term for it. But a lot of churches call it church discipline. I don't think there's a, anything wrong with using that phrase, other than it may give the wrong connotation and cause us to come to the passage with the preconceived mindset of what it's dealing with. So I want us to look at some things. In the process of that, we're going to look at two specific verses, if we get time to get to them, that I think over, uh, are overly misused quite a bit uh, and certainly don't, don't mean what we quote them to be uh, many times. Let's start in verse number 15, if you will, of Matthew chapter number 18. I'm going to ask, if you will, tonight to not just listen to this passage being read and being taught, but I want you to have an open mind as if it's the very first time you've ever heard this stuff. And listen to what the Bible says about it, okay? So we're going to look at verse number 15. The Bible says this, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take thee with thee two, uh, one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let, uh, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, 
Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That is not a standalone verse, by the way. That is a verse that is pertaining to the subject we just were talking about. Also, I want to say on verse number 19, another highly, highly misused verse. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, growing up... (laughs) Uh, there were some Wednesday nights or Thursday nights on soul winning visitation where only a handful of people would be there. And invariably, somebody would say, well, the Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And the problem I had with that growing up is I started thinking, what if I'm the only one there? Is God not there with me? What is this verse dealing with? It's dealing with what we just we just read, the passage we just read about church restoration, the idea of correcting things. So let's, let's take a minute and we want to look at some things that I think are highly uh, mistaught, misunderstood, and uh, find out what does the Bible say about this thing uh, of church uh, restoration, or some people call it church discipline. Look at verse number 15. Uh, I want to, and before we get started, let me just say this, and you'll see it as we study. The purpose of this, and I'll I'll use the word church discipline because that's the one most people are familiar with and that's what they they use. The purpose of church discipline is not to get rid of a rotten fruit. It is for the purpose of restoring that person back to what they need to be. It is not an exclusive activity. It's an inclusive activity. We're trying to keep them in the church, not trying to push them out. When somebody does something, and it's, it's what we call the big sins, and the first thing we do is bring them up in front of the church and tell the church about it and say we're voting them out, that's not biblical. It's not biblical. Let's take a look here, if you will. Verse number 15. I want you to notice this, and this is something that is so easily missed if you're not careful. The Bible says this, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against somebody in the church. Is that what it says? Who does it say? Thee. Whose responsibility is it to initiate this? The person who has been wronged. Not somebody else in the church that saw somebody do something to somebody. If somebody does something to you, then you are to go first. You don't come to pastor first. You don't go to Facebook, certainly, first. Which usually is our first resort, isn't it? We don't go and tell our friend. We don't call up and say, boy, you wouldn't believe what so-and-so did. The first thing we do is we go and we approach that person first. Now, notice what he says here, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him. What's the next word here? Alone. Very, very important. Between he and thee alone. I'll tell you why. For one, he may not have even known or they may not have even known that they've offended you. If they did know that they've offended you or that they're overtaken in a fault of some sort and they don't even realize they are, maybe they're doing something that is offensive and and against Scripture and they just haven't learned that yet or don't know that yet, you you will be helping them by edifying them and helping, helping them understand that. If it is something that they do know and they're your brother or sister in Christ, 
Again, we're to be helping that brother or sister in Christ. Because I would hope that if the roles were reversed, somebody would do that for me. That someone would come to me and say, Pastor, you're messing up here. And, and man, I want to help you. What can I do? Can we pray together every day? Can I call you every day? Can we, can, you know, what, what can I do to help you with this? And, and to try to approach it. And you always do so in the spirit of humility. The Bible speaks about that. If a brother be overtaken in a fault, the Bible says, Ye which are spiritual, restore such one. There's two qualifications to going to this person to do the restoration. One, you're to be a spiritual person. By the way, a person that does not go in the spirit of humility to that person is not a spiritual person. So if you don't go, or if you're not humble when you go, either one of them, you're not spiritual in that aspect. Ye which are spiritual, restore such one, and the Bible says it this way, in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So we've got to understand these things that we are uh, to restore with a spirit of humility. We don't come to them bashing them. We don't come to them to get them out of the church or to be argumentative or to say, boy, uh, man, I just, you need to just leave and, and don't, even turn, don't even come back, you know. We're there to try to be a help to them. That's the beginning of it. Now, if the brother hears and they repent of whatever it is or they are making progress, they're saying, boy, I'm glad you're helping me. Uh, help me work on this. Let's do this and we'll do it together. Uh, that's the end of it. Notice that it said that you've gone to him and you've met with him alone. If the problem is solved there, it's never to be mentioned again. You don't take it to the church. You don't put it on Facebook. You don't try to spread things. You don't. I've seen people do it this way. Testimony time comes in Sunday school or they're at a men's meeting or a women's, you all are having a women's fellowship, okay, something like that, or uh, Wednesday night testimony time or something like that. And so I raise their hand and say, boy, uh, I just thank the Lord that I was able to help this brother who did this, this, and <laughs> You don't do that. You're there to help that person and restore that person. That's the first step. And there has to be time given. What period of time that is, God will help us with. He'll give us the grace to know. But if it's a matter that uh, takes a few days to correct, to see the results of, or a week or two to correct, then you need to be considerate of the time frame that it takes to make that change. Some of them can be done quickly. Some of them may take a little bit of time, and you want to notice progress of it. Now look what the Bible says here. But if he will not hear thee. So this is a person that you've gone to, and they don't, they don't want to admit that they've done wrong, or even if they do admit that they've done wrong, they're not going to do anything to change it. And they say, you know what, who are you to come and talk to me about this thing? Which hopefully, if we've done it in the right spirit, that won't be the attitude. By the way, if you're on the receiving end of this, be gracious that somebody came to you. But if they refuse it and they say, no, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to be rebellious about it, and I, man, this is what I'm doing, I like it, I like what I'm doing, I'm enjoying it, I don't care what the Bible says, I don't care what God says, I'm still going to do this. Then the Bible says, it says in verse number 16, if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. If you take one and you, how many is that? We learned this in first grade, I think. One plus one is... That's two, right? It says to take one or two with you. So if we take two plus you, that's what? Three, okay? Now, look over at verse number 20. For where two or three, all right, do we see the, the application here? 
this verse in verse 20 is not speaking about us in a, in a gathering of uh, prayer meetings saying, boy, God's in the midst because we got three of us here. It's dealing with God is there and He's a part of the situation. When we get to this step, God is involved in the whole, in the whole ordeal. And this is something that's taking place. From, from the step number one to step number two, there's still either two or three or four people sometimes involved in it depending on uh, where we're at and which step we're on. God is in the midst of it and needs to be in the midst of it. Uh, I, was, I was talking with somebody here recently, and they were struggling in an area of a relationship that they had with someone. And um, I, I made this comment, and it's true in every facet of our life, but especially when it comes to relationships. We find in Ephesians, we find in Colossians, Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter number 3 and following, uh, we find that, that Jesus speaks very, or Paul uh, speaks very highly of the relationships that there ought to be, and he uses relationships that God has created here on this earth to picture the same relationships that we have with him. The idea is that God is the center of every relationship, whether it's a husband-wife, whether it's a, a child and parent or a parent to child, whether it is a master to servant. You say, Brother Greg, where's that? The Bible says that when we are servants, that we are to serve the master as unto the Lord. He is the center of that relationship. And the further that one or the other departs from the Lord, the further they will be from one another. If God is the nucleus, if He's the center of it, then any time one or the other or both begin to drift from God, it causes them automatically to drift from each other. There's more distance there. So when this, this restoring takes place, God must be at the center. And we must be drawing close to the Lord ourselves and helping to draw that other person closer to the Lord. And in doing so, we'll, we'll also draw closer to one another. Now we get to verse number 16, and he says, Then uh, take with each one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So at this point, you now have two or three brothers, that, or one or two brothers that go with you to talk to the person. And all three of you, are not there to bash him and kick him and, and knock him down. All three of you are brokenhearted. You're weeping. You're shedding tears. You're saying, please, we want to help you with this. Let us help you. And we want to try to get this thing right. And all three need to have that spirit. So when you go to get two or three more, or one or two more to go with you, make sure it's the right kind of person. Make sure that there has been time spent praying together as a group before you ever go and approach them, that God give us a spirit of humility in dealing with it. Once again, time must be given. Very important. You know, I've seen, I've seen pastors rush through this in about a period of two days of all three steps and no time given. And I've seen them happen, something happen on a Saturday morning. They went and met with them Saturday morning. They didn't listen. They took the deacons with them Saturday afternoon. They kicked them out of the church Sunday morning. There was no time given for that person to correct. There's got to be time given. Again, we are not in the process of trying to kick somebody out of the church. That is not our goal here. Our goal is to get them back where they need to be, to bring them in, to keep them in the church. Uh, now it says in verse number 17, And if he shall neglect to hear them. So again, this is somebody who is stubbornly saying no. If they are repentant, if their heart is broken, if they're contrite, if they're saying, you know what, uh, thank you guys so much, I appreciate it, and I certainly appreciate the spirit you've come in, and I'm glad to have the help, and, and let's come up with a plan of action. 
then you guys for the next day, two days, a week, sometimes maybe a month, work together daily on bringing that person back to where they need to be. There's got to be time given. The next step only happens if the person is saying, no, I don't want your help, stay away, leave me alone. If, it is a, if it's a stubborn will and an idea that, no, I am not going to do this, then you go to step three, and that is to bring them to the church and vote them out, right? It's not what the Bible says, is it? And this is where a lot of churches go wrong. Verse number 17, And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. Same process. Now you have the entire church brokenhearted over this person. Now the entire church is coming to the altar and praying for them. Now the whole church is calling them and sending them emails and saying, What can I do to be a help to you? We want to help you in this matter. you got the whole church pleading with them to come back to Christ and to get these matters straightened out. We don't see that a lot in this day. We see an awful lot of the church saying, you did wrong, there's the door. And folks, that is not in Scripture. The only time that we have to tell them they have to go out the door is if after all three of these folks pleading, the first person, the two or three, and then finally the church, broken, praying, pleading with them, encouraging them, confronting them, helping them any way they can. And they refuse once again. They have a stubborn will about it. I'm not doing it. Then and only then do we move on to the final thing. And that is found in verse number 17 towards the end. But if he neglect to hear the church, and again it's giving here the idea of a stubborn will, I am not going to change. After a loving and a caring church has come to them and tried everything they could to bring them back, that person is still stubborn in their will. Then and only then do we turn them out. The Bible says, Let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. We do that for the purity of the church to help with the church. And you say, well, do you have other scripture for that? And I don't have the exact reference, but the Bible says in Proverbs that you're to turn out a scorner. When there's a person that gets to the place where they are scorning and scoffing at the sin that they're committing, they have no conscience about it, they have no desire to get things right, for the safety of the others that are, that are pliable and their hearts are soft and trying to hear the Word of God, you have to turn them out or it will hurt the others. The Bible teaches this very clearly, but it needs to be done with compassion. I fear that in the day I've got many pastor friends, and they almost pride themselves somewhat. It's almost a mark, a distinguishing mark of their Baptist faith to say, Boy, brother, we had to practice church discipline. We voted five people out of the church last week. Something's wrong there. First of all, they should not be rejoicing over that. That should be something that's done with a broken heart. That should be something that when it has to happen, we ought to do it with tears streaming down our face because we've lost a brother. We would do it if it was one of our blood relatives, wouldn't we? And they passed away and we'd go to the casket. We'd shed the tears, wouldn't we? We've lost a brother. We've lost a sister. We've lost a mom or a dad. Why is it in our churches we don't weep for that? 
And then I want us to notice, as the Bible says this in verse number 18, and God is very clear about this. Again, He's, tell, he's told us in verses 19 and 20 that He's in the midst of this thing. He's, he's working in it. And in verse number 18, He says, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, if you have to get to the place where that person is unrepentant, and we have to say, you know what, we, we cannot have you as part of our church in this kind of a spirit, then God says, my, my approval's on that. You've done what I've asked you to do, and my approval's on that. If you bind it in heaven, it's bound, or on earth, it's bound in heaven. If you loose it on earth, the person's repentant, then we're to forgive them of their sin. And that's a hard one, isn't it? You say, Brother Greg, how do you know that? Because it's in the passage. Look down with me, if you will, uh, verse number 21. Okay, again, what did we say the first three rules are? The context, the context, the context. Verse 21, right on the heels of it. Then came Peter and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother... Sin against me, and I forgive him. Is there any question that he's not asking a follow-up question to what was just taught? There's no doubt. It's right on the heels of it. He's talking about a brother that offended him. How many times, Lord, am I to forgive? Seven times, and you can almost hear the piety in Peter's voice. Lord, I know that most people don't forgive this many, but we can forgive seven, right? Lord, that's about right. That. And God rebuke, Christ rebukes him, doesn't he? Jesus rebukes him for it. He says this in verse number 7. He says, How often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? Or Actually, Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Well, yeah, he does. He says, Say not unto thee, I guess would be a rebuke. But he does correct him for certain. He says, Until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And then he gives the parable of the servant that owed the master a small amount, or a great amount, and he couldn't pay it. And the master said, I'm going to forgive you the debt. And then the servant goes to a servant that was under him that owed just a small amount. And that servant said, I can't pay it. And the servant that had been forgiven this great debt said, I'm not going to forgive you the little debt. When the master heard about it, look what the Bible says about this. And this is Jesus teaching this. When it goes down to it, the Bible says in verse number 32, Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou what? Wicked servant. Now, if you take the parable to be cast alongside of the truth that Jesus just taught about forgiveness, a person that is not willing to forgive in the sight of God is considered a what? A wicked servant. So, Brother Greg, I'm not wicked. Well, are you forgiving? That's pretty pointed, isn't it? When that person that has done something wrong has to be brought through this process, and there is somewhere along the line a corrective spirit, a spirit of being restored, that's the end of it. We continue to help them, encourage them, strengthen them, but we never bring it up or throw it in their face or hold it against them. We forgive them and we move on. Because the truth is, I certainly have been forgiven of far more than that person has. And by the way, so have you. We have lived in, a, in an era of time 
where churches have so misused and abused this portion of Scripture. And if it ever comes to that here at Keith Heights Baptist Church, and I pray it doesn't ever have to come to something like this, we need to know as a church how we are to handle it. And we need to do it biblically and correctly, not the way that our, our cohorts and the people we hobnob with and the people we associate with think we ought to do it. We need to do it the way the Bible says. And I hope that will be a help to us. Again, we want to look at the, the verse number 18, which is often misused, and it's misused by a lot of people in the faith, uh, Word of Faith movement about uh, binding things and binding illnesses. And <laughs> I bind you, Satan. That's not what this is speaking about. Not, it has nothing to do with that whatsoever. Uh, the idea in verse number 19 and 20 about two or three being gathered in our name or two or three agreeing on earth as touching anything, um, this is not dealing with just a standalone promise of God's blessing. It's dealing with when we go through this process. God is putting a stamp of approval on it saying, you've done it the way I've told you to do it, and I agree. And that is, you've got the authority to do it. You've got my backing as the God of heaven to do it this way because that's the way I've told you to do it. And that's what God's telling us here. Okay, I hope that will be a help to us. Again, I've tried to, the last few Wednesday nights, we've tried to take either questions or some things that maybe are sometimes misunderstood or not quite taught the way we uh, are shown in Scripture the way we've been taught perhaps and tried to clarify it by Scripture uh, the way it's supposed to be done. So I hope that will be a help to you. All right, let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for your word. What a joy it is to have you be able to instruct us and to tell us how we're to behave ourselves, how we're to do things in the church properly. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful to it, help us to be steadfast to your word and the teachings of it. May you use it in our lives to be a help and encouragement and a blessing to one another. We pray in Jesus' name.